Yo, yo, yo. It's Mercy on the ones and twos. Give me a beat. Give me a beat. Give me a beat. <laughs> hey, uh, check it. Yo, we at Emory. Let's <laughs> get this podcast popping. Yeah, I can't rap, but I'm going to try, though. Okay. Because I got them bars in a nice flow. Oh. Nice flow. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning into the Black Health Podcast. This is Matthew. I'm Mercy. I'm Khadija. And I'm Paula. And we, we are Team Black, Black Health. Health. That, was, that was really corny, y'all. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're Black Health. Black Health is an organization we started to educate, engage, and empower the Black community in our health and wellness. As African Americans, we are more likely to have poor health outcomes. One in five people is affected by mental illness. Black people are incarcerated at much higher rates than whites. And often their first encounter with mental health services is in a detention center. Black people are less likely to have health insurance and less likely to seek mental health treatment than white people. first episode, uh, episode one, and we are so excited to here to be talking about mental health, uh, specifically black mental health. Uh, you may or may not know that the month of May um, is Mental Health Awareness Month. So we wanted to just have a conversation um, about specifically when you should seek counseling, um, how to find mental health professional after you've made that decision to, to kind of introduce yourself to care, and then what to expect once you get your first counseling session. I know mental health is a really, can be a really taboo uh, topic within the African-American community, within the black community, um, kind of the diaspora. Um, so we really want to continue to, to push this conversation. I know for me, my first introduction to mental health was at, a, at an extreme point. I had a friend consider killing himself, mm-hmm. um, which was a really scary experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within the span of maybe four or five months, I had my mechanic kill himself and my neighbor kill himself. Um, and I, I really took that opportunity just to think, you know, hey, you know, what is, somebody's trying to show me something, um, whether, um, and, and you know, what, what is this? What is this issue? Why, why is it leading to this? Um, and I think that all happened while I was an undergrad and that led me to kind of want to work with at-risk youth. Um, and then once I, was there, I noticed a lot of kids with, you know, who were suffering from um, just experience, um, experiencing depression, anxiety, um, ADHD, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and just wondering how, as a youth, that may lead to some of the issues that we see in these, these adult males who, mm-hmm. you know, are choosing to end their lives. Um, so it's just a really interesting kind of dynamic because we don't talk about it because we can't see it right mm-hmm. um, and a lot and it often goes goes unspoken um, I don't know I don't, you guys have any experiences you know family or your mm-hmm. into personal experiences you know dealing with mental wellness yeah. um, I think for me personally I've always wanted or been interested in like seeking out mental health services but I just never really knew like how do I start? They say like go through your insurance companies. I tried that, they weren't really helpful. Um, and then I was just like, okay, so now what do I do? Like I just had so many questions, like just no, and no clue like where to begin. And then like Matthew was saying how we don't talk about it. So it's like, I can't go ask like any person, anyone in my network, you know, mm-hmm. about services because they're like, well, why you need to go see a therapist? Like, just go to church or just like talk to your friends. Mm-hmm. So, better, you know, better pray that away, girl. <laughs> <laughs> right? Jesus tired of me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I think it's just so misunderstood in our community. And I know, like, your story, Matt, like, really reminded me of how I had a friend share um, with me that she was thinking about committing suicide, and I didn't know what to say. I didn't know, like, how to help her. Um, and then also, you know, there's been people in my family who suffer from mental illness, and you do your best to try to encourage them to seek care. But like you were saying, Mercy, like, if you don't know how or mm -hmm. where to go, like, it just... It just doesn't happen for a lot of people. Right. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think it's interesting to that point, you know, it's when you like hurt your foot, it's like, oh, I need to go to the doctor. I need mm -hmm. to go to the emergency room. Um, but, you know, when you've been sad for, you know, a couple weeks or, you know, you've just mm -hmm. been really anxious or, mm -hmm. um, you know, you can't understand why you can't concentrate on things, you know, you really just, there's no direction. It's just really right. difficult. Um, and I think, and I don't even think people notice like that. Those are reasons why you should go talk to someone. Like mm -hmm. you know, those feelings of anxiety they aren't normal. Like if you're constantly feeling that way. Yeah. So. Yeah. And we and we talk about suicide a lot when we talk in this context of mental health. But there are plenty of people who are just living and functioning every day. Um, you know, kind of with these illnesses that you know, are living, and, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and in some sense, you know, are living a, a great life in some sense that are suffering, and it comes in waves. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's also important to point out that, you know, the, the, end is, the end of mental health, or just there's people that are functioning, and there's people that sometimes yeah. don't um, end their life and things like that. Mm -hmm. That's. I think, like, especially in, like, a school environment, um, at college, grad mm -hmm. school, we're just like, it's a really high stress environment. Sure. Um, and I think a lot of us um, have just had times that we've just been like, just gone through like emotional periods and just been really stressed out, really mm -hmm. sad. But we're kind of, we kind of have so much pressure to just always perform and always just like, mm -hmm. yeah do things so a lot of times we're just so busy <laughs> and we put so much focus and emphasis on like our work and like school and stuff like that that we don't put that same energy into our own like mental health and it kind of gets neglected and just gets worse and worse mm -hmm. yeah yeah and stress stress becomes normal right. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. yeah i mean i think for black people in general especially stress is normal yeah. and even mm -hmm. in the context of you know, being high achievers, being in mm -hmm. school and stuff, you're always taught, you know, you have to work twice as hard. To get happy. So you're working <laughs> twice as hard <laughs> and you're twice as stressed out mm -hmm. and you're not giving yourself a break. And I think that really applies across the board for black people. Like, I think we just kind of come up with the mentality, we grow up with the mentality that life is hard, mm -hmm. life is stressful. Um, you know, we don't really necessarily learn from our parents, like skills to take care of ourselves, and mm -hmm. that all ties back to mental health and mm -hmm. um, just how we're not in a space usually to recognize the signs and symptoms and when we need to go talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. right. And there's like racism. Right. right. <laughs> the underlying. <laughs> there's always <Okay>. racism. <laughs> oh, yes. And just, yeah, and just having to function, you know, in a society, in a place where, you know, you're not always valued or based on the color of your skin um, and how that impacts your, your mental wellness and mm -hmm. stresses you out. Um, and there have been studies that say, like, a lot of black people have PTSD hmm. just yeah. from racism and with all the police shootings and just constantly seeing those type of images, like, mm -hmm. over and over and over again. I, it's really strange to me how they always broadcast the murders of black men but mm -hmm. you never see it for anyone else like yeah you you can see dead black people on tv but they don't do that for other races mm -hmm. yeah so. it's, almost, it's like modern day lynching yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, you used to right. gather around and watch Right, so now Black it's just like, hang, yeah. oh, you just scrolling your like you try to avoid it, but it's like it's literally just all on your mm -hmm. timelines. Yeah. I mean, and I think as Black people, we have to get out of the habit of reposting stuff like that. Yeah, but that's a whole nother topic for a different <laughs> no, day. No, but it's, it's so, triggering mm -hmm. to ourselves yeah, and other people is. in our community. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. So since we're talking about mental health, we were featured on this great podcast, Get Caught Up with Teeth and Tiff. 
and we were talking about mental health and just kind of joking about Atlanta traffic and how that affects our mental health because all the stress. But it was definitely a great time. Shout out to Tease and Tiff. Thank you so much for hosting us. And y'all go check it out. I think y'all definitely enjoy it. They have a lot of adulting 101 tips. So mm -hmm. we all need that. guest today to help facilitate this conversation about mental wellness. Dr. Ayana Abrams is a psychologist and owner of Ascension Behavioral Health. She specializes in therapy with adults dealing with stress, anxiety, depression, racism, and relationships. She does it all. Hi Ayana, thank you for being here today. Hi. Can you tell us more about yourself and about your practice? Um, yes, absolutely. Well, I first want to say thank you for um, having me. I was really excited when I got the email um, from Mercy a few weeks ago um, mm -hmm. asking to participate, particularly given that it is um, Mental Health Awareness Month, but mm -hmm. in general, um, to have a space um, where people have access to information about um, how to live healthier lives, um, how to help people who they love live, live healthier lives. So um, thank you. I am the CEO and founder of Ascension Behavioral Health. Um, uh, this August actually makes five years um, of opening my Yay. practice. Um, after finishing, thank you. Um, <laughs> after wrapping up my postdoc right here at um, Emory Student Counseling Center. Um, so it's been really, really great to still have access to a lot of students and faculty um, and to really serve the Atlanta um, community. <clears throat> So specifically what I specialize in um, is working with late adolescents um, and adults with various mental health issues, um, ranging from anxiety, depression, um, relationship concerns, um, and all those things that kind of just bring in day-to-day -day stress for individuals, just how to manage and balance um, their lives um, when things are in crisis, um, but ideally before things get into um, a crisis position. Um, what a lot of mental health providers experience is that people come in once they experience crisis. So um, I'd like to provide some information today about ways to get yourself help before things hit the fan um, for yourself, for your loved ones, for your children, for your parents. Um, there's always something that you can do uh, before things get to their worst spot um, to save your life, essentially. So That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. yeah. And thank you so much for being here. Yes, thank you. We really want to start at kind of the beginning of the mental health journey. So how does one know that they're at a point where they should consider maybe reaching out to a mental health professional? Really good question. Um, as I alluded to a little bit before, people tend to wait too long, mm -hmm. way too long. Um, a lot of times I will have clients come in, they told me that they've experienced whatever kinds of symptoms um, for months up to years or kind of back oh, wow. into their childhood and they're in their 30s or 40s or 50s. Mm -hmm. um, so what I always recommend to anybody is when you notice that something feels off or something feels different for two weeks, you're not looking at three, you're not mm -hmm. looking at a month, but two weeks um, of um, different symptoms that I would recommend at least kind of thinking about what's happening for you and potentially reaching out to a provider. Um, so things to really pay attention to, um, one is appetite. If you notice a decrease in appetite or an increase in appetite, um, I would recommend seeking, whether it's your primary care provider, who will typically recommend you to a mental health uh, provider, or um, going straight to a mental health provider. So um, same thing with sleep. If you notice that you're having less sleep or you're sleeping a lot more, that's mm -hmm. happening for at least two weeks, um, something's off biologically, emotionally, mentally, something's affecting your sleep. Um, something to also pay attention to that a lot of people miss is social isolation. If you don't feel um, uh, as interested in spending time with people who you normally like to spend time with. Mm -hmm. Friends, family, um, these days with social media, um, if you're not feeling like posting or not feeling like engaging in your world um, mm -hmm. the way you typically do, um, that could be a sign that something else is going on. Um, 
your attention span. If you're feeling more distracted mm-hmm. um, at work, at school, with your family, with your children, um, that's another area to really be mindful of if you just can't focus on mm-hmm. things. Um, typically, students and people who are professionals notice that more. I can't get my work done. It's taking me three more hours to study whatever it is um, than it normally takes, or I'm not doing well on these exams or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are those are the quote-unquote easier things to pay attention to. Um, I also want to add in uh, weight loss or weight gain. If you notice any significant shift, uh, but you're not doing anything different with your um, appetite, also something to pay attention to. Something is shifting in your system, mm-hmm. and ideally we recommend early intervention as early as possible. So as soon as you begin to notice something, say something to somebody um, mm-hmm. about it, but begin thinking about um, seeking out some resources. Okay. So is two weeks um, just the early intervention window, or is there something biologically that happens two weeks in that? Two weeks is early intervention window in terms of being able to get help, but mm-hmm. in noticing any any clump of these symptoms, um, you can be clinically diagnosed. Okay. Um, so having any number of these symptoms, I think the DSM now says maybe three to five um, of some of these symptoms, um, you would you would be indicated for a, um, a diagnosis of major depression, or okay. indicate, or at least an episode, um, mm-hmm. where you'd be indicated for a diagnosis of generalized anxiety or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so, and I think the reason that the time has shortened um, to that is because people tend to wait too long right. anyway. Mm-hmm. So, if you can really be mindful of um, noticing that for at least half a month, then it's better. Um, but also, when your body's experiencing that over that period of time, it's going to t- start taking effect. On other things right if you had a headache for two weeks straight you probably do something right about it right mm-hmm. so if you're feeling heartache if you're feeling anxiety for two weeks straight something else is being affected right it's taking a toll on your body mm-hmm. so yeah and that's so interesting because I feel like if I had like twisted my ankle and was in pain mm-hmm. <laughs> I would go in I would not yeah, yeah exactly. you wouldn't wait yeah <laughs> That's an example I give to a lot of my clients. If you have a broken leg, yeah. you would not wait. You would not walk on it, right? If your friend had a broken leg, you wouldn't tell them just, you know, go to church. You would right. say, go to the doctor and get this fixed because you don't have the skills to do it yourself. Right. Um, but I know that brings up a lot of um, shame for people to not be able to fix themselves or take care of themselves. Um, mm-hmm. So that stops them from making it into um, treatment and taking mm-hmm. better care of themselves. Right? But uh, culturally, um, socially, we tend to value physical wellness over mental and emotional wellness because we can see it. It's mm-hmm. gory. It's there. It's in our face versus, well, there's something just going on in your mind and you can just talk yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people can. Um, some people don't, quote, unquote, need counseling. Could everybody benefit from it? Yes. Um, but a lot of times we think that we can do that work and it mm-hmm. takes on a life of its own and it becomes mm-hmm. much bigger than us. And that's mm-hmm. when things get um, things can get potentially really messy. Yeah, mm-hmm. And that's interesting that you said you had clients coming in that have been really dealing with this since like grade school mm-hmm. and have just been harboring this. I feel like in the black community with a lot of us, um, we like are experiencing a lot of these symptoms and a lot of just like these feelings for like years. Um, it's just so normalized mm-hmm. that you kind of ignore them, that you just live with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting that you brought that up. Mm-hmm. And, and, and particularly with my um, with black clients, but just any clients who um, are minorities, mm-hmm. who, we also tend to hold things more physically. Our stress, we tend to hold it um, physically. So whether it's headaches, stomach aches, back aches, I hear a lot more of that from um, black clients. But it does become this norm. I have people come in and say, "Oh, I've never slept well." I'm like, "Do you mean never?" They're just like, "I can't remember the last yeah. time I had a good night's sleep." And yeah. I'm like, "For years," and that's just there. Norm, I get three to four hours, or it's disrupted, but that's been since, you know, childhood, and it's just, that's yeah. what I do. I can still function, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but it becomes a, you know, people kind of think that they're comfortable in that, but what I always kind of talk to clients about is that it's a familiar discomfort. Mm-hmm. Right? You're used to yeah. it, but it doesn't mean that it's comfortable, but people say, oh, that's just kind of the way thing is. things are, but mm-hmm. we get used to um, putting our bodies through that, so our bodies end up doing a lot more work than we're built mm-hmm. to do, which leads to a whole bunch of other problems, Yeah. Right? Do you think someone could benefit from counseling that maybe hasn't been going through those symptoms and like doesn't necessarily think they have a mental illness, um, but they've just been like stressed or just want someone to talk to? Absolutely. Um, I have a number of clients who come in for um, insight-oriented work. It's just about getting to know themselves. So it's not mm. because they're in any significant level of 
distress, crisis, problems. They just want to understand more of how they operate in the mm -hmm. world and how they can be better at mm. stuff. Um, so that's always really helpful. It's not mm -hmm. about intervening or fixing anything. It's just about them um, creating more awareness so they can access greater potential. Um, and that's always really, really great, really deep, insightful mm -hmm. work. Because we're not going from crisis to kind of fix things and then kind of build them up. They're pretty stabilized. Right. Mm -hmm. right? And a lot, of, a lot of, at least my clientele, um, are fairly stabilized. They just have kind of pockets of distress. Um, I have some severe ones. But um, I have a lot of students, my theology students particularly. Who <laughs> 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 they love it. Um, so it's just about having questions about themselves. How yeah. might this have impacted mm -hmm. me? How might this look? And if I want this kind of job. So um, that kind of work can be really, really fun as yeah. well. You're just yeah. getting into stuff and mm -hmm. they just have questions about themselves. So I always recommend um, that kind of work. Yeah, I'm, therapy doesn't have to be this negative space. I never knew. <laughs> right? I'm like, really? You can just, yeah. we can kick it. Yeah. Yeah. I would have thought I'd be wasting your time. Mm -hmm. Right. Because like, <laughs> you can always learn about yourself. There are yeah. always things that you don't recognize. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like, again, a lot of people see this as space for when bad stuff happens. I can yeah. only kind of drop all the bad stuff on here. She don't want to hear any good stuff. I like good stories. So, like I said, a lot of people just come in and just, hey, this is what's going on with me. And inevitably, there's some stress that comes up mm -hmm. when right. you talk about it. But you don't have to be in crisis. Um, to find a space that feels more objective, um, that feels like it's focused on you. And that's the other big part. It's not, when we're talking to our friends and our family, even if they're really, really supportive and great, they still have a certain vested interest in us being a certain way. Yeah. Because that also helps their lives if we stay this way or right. don't stay this way and don't get too healthy sometimes. <laughs> um, so having a um, therapeutic space, it's all about you. It's all about you. So whether that's just building social skills, anything like that, people come in for anything. That yeah. like something that everybody needs. Yeah. <laughs> I would recommend it. I would recommend it. Yeah. Even as just preventative, just maintenance. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. I mean, because we go to our primary care mm -hmm. and nothing is wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just to have somebody that. lay eyes on you and say, yeah. okay, you're cool. Come back whenever it is. Right? And some people will come in and do pockets of stuff. Like, okay, this summer I'll come in for maybe like six sessions just to kind of see how things are going, just to kind of get some stuff out of my system, and then... They'll call me maybe three months later and do another pocket. It, all, it doesn't have to be um, an intensive set of work mm -hmm. that they do. It really just depends on um, what you're needing and finding somebody who's a good fit for you. That's great. Um, okay, so now that this person has decided I need, I want to seek out um, a mental health professional, um, now they're facing the the bit kind of a barrier of um, where they should go, <laughs> mm -hmm. how they should even find mm -hmm. a mental health professional. So, do you have any suggestions Absolutely. for someone mm -hmm. um, on how they can find mm -hmm. a mental health professional? So, a number of different ways. Um, you can use your Googles. Right? <laughs> so now, because a lot more providers have websites or kind of online um, mm -hmm. profiles, it's it's a it's a lot easier nowadays um, to find somebody um, online to work with. So you can type in your criteria. You can type in Atlanta-based anxiety therapist. You can type in Black woman therapist zip code, right? Mm -hmm. And more things yeah. are likely to come up. Um, now, so I'd always recommend use your Googles. Um, there's a really great great website that a lot of um, therapists utilize, which is called Psychology Today, mm -hmm. um, which has a whole list of therapists. You can look by um, clinical issue, you can mm -hmm. look by zip code, you can look by insurance, um, you can look by faith. Um, it has all these different um, criteria that you can use to find a provider, um, ethnicity, gender, all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, so that's a really, really great um, resource. I'd also recommend using your primary care physician. Ideally, you have a primary care physician um, <laughs> because a lot more physicians are linking with um, psychologists and therapists and just kind of have our information or have our cards in their office just to hand off and say, oh, I've ruled out all the medical stuff. You, This might be stress-related, so here's this person. Here are these people in the area. Um, so those are the main, the main ways I would look. Um, if you do kind of locate somebody that looks like a good fit, you've kind of read their bio, mm -hmm. um, a lot of therapists also offer free consultation. So it doesn't mean that as soon as you're talking to us, you're paying money. That's uh, a whole other yeah. piece. So, mm -hmm. for example, my, I'll offer you a free 15-minute um, in-person or by phone consultation just to talk about what's going on with you. And if it feels like a good fit, then we can schedule an intake appointment. Um, but that's just for us to talk about what you've been noticing, how long you've been noticing them, if you've been in treatment before, any questions you have about yeah. stuff. Um, and if we're not a good fit for whatever reason, insurance, location, um, I'm always open to providing you referrals to other providers. So I'll usually send you an email of three to five people who might be a good fit. Mm -hmm. um, and you might need to do some therapist shopping. Um, what was mm -hmm. his name? It was a celebrity who was just talking about that the other day. 
Brad Pitt really? had done some interview, um, and I, I think he was talking about recent counseling, but um, it's very common to need to do some therapy shopping to find a good okay. fit. A lot of times it can be, you can, you can make the assumption that the person who I'm going to meet will be the person, but that's not always the case, just in terms of personalities, mm -hmm. how styles are, um, energies that are in the room. Um, so it might require you to meet maybe two or three different people mm -hmm. um, to find somebody who's a better fit for you. Um, and ideally, you want to go with the person who's the best fit, even if they have the most skill and all the letters yeah. after their name and all that stuff. <laughs> um, the relationship, is, and research shows, the relationship is a change factor um, in yeah. therapy. So I can have okay. all the skills and do all the CBT and this and this, but if we're not a good fit, it's not going to work mm -hmm. for you. Um, so you really want to find somebody who you feel comfortable with, who you feel safe with, mm -hmm. um, who you can get vulnerable with. Because if you're not telling me the full story, I can't help you mm -hmm. anyway. So um, you're always looking for how that energy feels, but you got to give us a chance. You can't come in once. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> um, be like, well, I don't really know. I always recommend see the person again just to yeah. see. Um, but don't force yourself to be in there for eight sessions, and this is not a good fit. I yeah. give it kind of two to three. Um, to see based on what your finances are, time-wise, um, but you also have to give us a chance to get to know you and for you to get to know mm -hmm. us. So give, give us a little bit of time. <laughs> An hour is not enough sometimes. Sounds like dating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I talked to my clients about dating too. You better go on that second date. So make sure, right, but make sure you have all the information, all the data that you need to then make right. an informed Right. So I can't call it therapist dating, but therapist shopping. Shopping for a yeah. good fit. So, yes. <laughs> As um, a black person, speaking of fit, do you think there's any like benefits to searching specifically for a black mental health professional? Mm -hmm. I get actually I get a lot of requests. I think also because of when I was in training here at the counseling center, um, I made it a point to work with black students and black mm -hmm. at Emory and all that kind of stuff. So um, they know who I like to work with, uh, particularly given my training and my interests and my specialty. Mm -hmm. um, so I get a lot of requests for black therapist or at least a black woman therapist um, and it is it, it is very important to a lot of individuals um, in terms of feeling being seen mm -hmm. feeling heard and feeling understood um, and not having to explain yourself as well as your issue um, yeah. sometimes so it can really just kind of take off a whole layer of distress um, in finding a therapist which is already a vulnerable and courageous mm -hmm. process mm -hmm. um, so that's why a lot of um, particularly minorities you don't notice it as many with um, with white individuals searching for therapists with minorities they might search for somebody who it feels kind of akin to them in this mm -hmm. very very particular way i don't want to have to explain this word or you know i have clients who use words like thought and i know what you're talking about right? <laughs> so you have to explain to me what's going on and that helps particularly given the generation that i'm working with yeah. um so those kinds of things can make it very difficult if i have to explain how i'm talking and why i'm saying this mm -hmm. in this way mm -hmm. um it gets in the way um of the connection. Um, the caveat with that is that sometimes we can also assume that because somebody looks like us that they've had the same experiences. Mm -hmm. um, so for example I have a lot of clients who will say stuff like well you know you know how we do and I'll be like I don't know. <laughs> what does that mean to you? What are you assuming about me? You know what we're doing on Friday nights. You know what we do on Sunday morning. I'm like Am I in church? I don't know. What's right? <laughs> so there's a way in which we got. We still have to be careful of those assumptions that we make of people who look like us, um, because therapists were people too. We might right. not have the same experiences, mm -hmm. um, but you can always check that out. But it is something that I notice, particularly with black clients, is a way in which, in seeing me, they're just like, okay, you get me. So you are me. Mm -hmm. I'm not so much. <laughs> but we can at least talk about some of those differences and kind of what's going on there um, but again it does create a different level of safety if mm -hmm. a person can feel seen understood mm -hmm. um, and just be able to kind of get to their stuff sure um, on the flip side of that really quick I also have clients who um, black clients who struggle meeting with black therapists because it feels like okay you can't know too much of my business because you want the in crowd so I can't really tell black yeah. people this is happening so I want an old white lady who has no connection yeah. to my community and that's also old white ladies are fine um, but I think there's a, there's a number of different ways that kind of race, um, ethnicity, ethnicity, gender assumptions um, come up in the room. Mm -hmm. so. I had a question kind of related to this topic. Mm -hmm. um, so just what are some ways that you tailor your um, therapy and counseling sessions to black people and mm -hmm. people of color? Yeah. Um, so in my, in my intakes in general, I tend to have the same uh, general questions. But when it comes to working with um, black clients, male or female or couples, um, I ask a lot more about messages they received about relationships in their lives um, from the media, from their family, what are their relationship role models, um, because there's a cultural and kind of historical 
dynamic that comes up there. Um, so it's not that I don't um, think that information is important with my non-black clients, but it's really important for me to hear their narrative of how they view themselves, love, um, connection, help, uh, health-seeking behaviors, mm -hmm. uh, because those are the things that usually kind of come up as a theme mm -hmm. in some way. And if I can, if I can kind of pair this with, oh, you've you know had a life where you didn't get any role models that said this is okay, or this is what love looks like, or whichever it is, um, then that factors into how you kind of value yourself um, as an adult. But I have clients who come in and talk about hair concerns at work. Mm -hmm. um, I have clients who come in and talk about, you know, whether it's okay to wear a head wrap at work. And those are conversations <laughs> that you might not think would come up in therapy because it's not about, quote unquote, um, mental health, but it's about cultural health mm -hmm. and well-being and being seen. So um, it's conversations like that that when things come up, I have no uh, concern asking about um, their specific experience because of their race, mm -hmm. uh, because of their gender. Um, and I know a lot of therapists don't do that, unfortunately, um, but you miss a lot of information um, when you don't ask questions like that. Um, so I think it helped me connect with my clients on a deeper level. Specific to like, you alluded to this earlier, self-sufficiency. Mm -hmm. um, do you find a lot of your black clients Kind of rely on this idea that I, I need to be self-sufficient um, rather than relying on like a, a network of people and things mm -hmm. like that yeah um, and, if, and is that specific to black people um, it's kind of it's, I guess it's my question yeah um, I, I notice it more in general across minorities ethnic okay. minorities mm -hmm. and I do notice it more specifically with black women um, mm -hmm. so I have a lot of clients um, where we're talking about the superwoman complex mm -hmm. we're talking about stereotypes of black women mm -hmm. um, whether sexually relationally uh, culturally religiously um, so those things come up where there is a sense that they have to hold it and they don't even understand that mm -hmm. they're holding it they just mm -hmm. that's their norm like well I, well I do this and take care of the kids and the partner um, and be this at, at um, work and that just becomes their norm um, to a point where even as they're talking about, well, I got headaches and I got, you know, a backache and I don't sleep and we're not intimate and, you know, I'm always yelling at my children and I just got called to HR because of whatever's going on um, at work. They don't think that that's really kind of stress related mm -hmm. and kind of about holding all these people. So they're just like, well, I just got to get it together. I just got to hold it um, together versus you're not supposed to be holding all that stuff. And that we right. got to give some of that back <laughs> yeah. to people. Um, yeah. So I teach a lot of skills in giving people what is theirs versus kind of holding things that aren't mm -hmm. yours. Um, and again, that, that comes up the most um, with my black women clients. Um, clinically, like on our end, we call it uh, relational codependency. Okay. Um, so it's a way in which we enable um, behaviors and we try to kind of control for situations, but it leads to a lot more anxiety. Um, it mm -hmm. leads to a lot more um, distress. But that's our way to kind of regulate things. If you're controlled and that's controlled and that's controlled and this is controlled, then whew, right. then I can breathe. Right? <laughs> Versus if you can breathe first, baby, and then right. Right, be able to manage those things. Um, but it creates this dynamic where then people put all their stuff on you. Right, because you're used to just you have your hands out, mm -hmm. so people are gonna say, Okay, here you go, and all of a sudden you're upset that you're holding all this stuff, right? So, I talked to I got a lot of clients who are bag ladies, put them bags down, right? That's yeah. this is not your stuff, you got to yeah, give people back their stuff. Um, so yes, we use music, we got some, oh, wow. we got some Solange in there, we got, uh, we got it going now. Listen, um, so lemonade, all that stuff. So, yes. my clients teach me things, <laughs> teach me a lot of things too. Um, so, I use all of that, um, with my clients, and again, those are things that are culturally sensitive that I don't use with other clients because again it's a different way in um, mm -hmm. particularly given the age range um, that I see so mm -hmm. good question yeah. mm. so in terms of being able to pay for services mm -hmm. I know that's an issue um, or a lot of people perceive that as being an issue mm -hmm. a barrier to seeking counseling um, could you talk a little bit about some options for low-income individuals mm -hmm. or individuals without insurance yeah, um, so there are a number of different options based on where you are, kind of what city you're in. Um, so I can speak more specifically to um, Atlanta, mm -hmm. um, having a few low-cost, low-to-no-cost clinics. Um, so there's Care and Counseling Center um, that's right on Claremont Road. Um, they sometimes have low-cost clinics. There is Outpatient Psychotherapy Training Program that's Emory-based. Mm -hmm. um, so I believe they're either them or the psychological center is still open. That's available to the community. Um, Grady has some services um, as well. Um, and there are a few other sites listed on my um, on my website. But um, I believe Mercer has a family clinic um, where they can see you for individual marital therapy, maybe even some family therapy um, for a lower cost. Um, I do rec I do recognize that 
particularly if you're going to see a private practice um, clinician, that for a lot of people it's not feasible. I absolutely mm-hmm. understand that, um, which is why a lot of therapists, including me, offer low cost or kind of pro bono services or a sliding scale. Um, so I hold three to five sliding scale spots at any given time. So whether that's that I have clients who are paying zero up to maybe fifty dollars um, oh, a session okay. because I recognize right that can't, everybody can't pay for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I am more community trained, I understand the importance um, mm-hmm. of that. Unfortunately, all therapists don't do that, um, but a lot of therapists do. So if you're reaching out to a therapist, I'd recommend first they ask them if they have a sliding scale, um, and then they'll talk to you about finances, some of them might need your tax return, I don't really get into any business like that. Um, so if I have a slot, I'll usually, it's usually fine, um, but the other thing that comes up with that, those, those slots fail quickly um, because right. private practice clinicians tend to be um, a little bit more expensive just to kind of cover everything that we are paying for um, on the back end. Mm-hmm. So um, if you are usually needing um, something that's more affordable for you, we can always provide you recommendations. Um, and a lot of times some of these sites, these uh, clinics that are around here also have trainees, so they'll also charge you less um, because you're not working with a licensed clinician. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are all supervised by somebody who's licensed, but um, you can sometimes get some cheaper services um, mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah, and I know um, just like some of my professional background, working in fairly qualified health centers, mm-hmm. um, a lot of them have behavioral health services and they're on a sliding fee mm-hmm. um, scales too, so they can't turn away anyone because of inability to pay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there are options. There's options. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, yeah. you gotta use your Google <laughs> and or reach out to a therapist and we can help you navigate um, something. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be something that you have to do all on your um, and a lot of us are willing, just as long as you're getting help, we will give you all right. the information mm-hmm. um, that you need, even if you can't make it to us. Right. So That's great to hear. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I had another question. Um, something else that can be a little overwhelming is just all the different types of mental health professionals mm-hmm. and styles of therapy. So could you maybe identify some differences? Mm-hmm. Um, there's some of the main ones that you've seen. A lot of people get these two confused, um, a psychologist versus a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. Um, So a psychologist um, has a very specific training in more kind of clinical work, uh, therapy, group therapy, um, and research. And they do more talk therapy, group therapy, couples therapy. Um, A psychiatrist is a medical provider. So they um, prescribe medication. Mm-hmm. So they're less likely to do talk therapy, and you're going to you're usually going to see them less. So mm-hmm. I might see you weekly or twice a week, based on kind of what's going on. A psychiatrist might see you every three months, um, mm-hmm. just for kind of medication mm-hmm. management. Um, if you're changing medications, you might see them every few weeks or like once a month or something. But their primary um, uh, treatment modality is medication. Um, so a lot of times people have both. You have your therapist who you talk to regularly, but you're also being helped. Um, biologically with some medication. Um, There are also master's level um, clinicians. So you have social workers, um, you have licensed professional counselors, um, and you have licensed marriage and family therapists, right? So those are kind of the other range. So they have less training, less kind of academic training, less research training, um, but they have their specific focuses, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're gonna go to a, um, a marriage or family therapist, typically you're in a relationship. There's something going on with your family, right? So you're there. Um, and they might do play therapy, kids, kind of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to see an LPC or a social worker, you're going to get counseling um, that looks similar to a psychologist, but they don't have the same research foundation. Mm-hmm. So they just have less education, but still really great skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also, they can also be in private practice as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you'll see social workers maybe in some school settings, mm-hmm. maybe in some residential centers for um, people with behavioral issues, but you also might see them in private practice. We all work together um, in some way, but again, the, the higher up you go in um, degree, we just have more research. Um, and we can also do psychological testing. Master's mm-hmm. level can't do psychological testing. Um, so I can do IQ testing and personality testing, um, and they don't do that. Those are the main differences, but go to somebody. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I was always confused, like, so who, mm-hmm. what I, do I need a counselor? Right. Like, yep, and we're all, we difference? could all be considered therapists. Psychiatrists wouldn't call themselves therapists, but the rest of us would be considered therapists. Um, mm-hmm. But somebody who is an LPC, um, a licensed professional counselor, they, they call themselves therapists or counselors versus I call myself a psychologist. It's, when you get in the room, a lot of the work looks the same mm-hmm. in some ways, but... Um, there's just a kind of a wider range of knowledge um, that the psychiatrist and psychologist um, have. 
Yeah. I paid a lot more for school. (laughs) (laughs) What are, like, some of the main styles of therapy? Because I've heard of, like, cognitive behavioral Mm -hmm. therapy and, like, mindfulness. People love CBT. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's there are big kind of brackets that we learn kind of academically in school Mm -hmm. versus what makes it to the therapy room. So a, a big one is CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is where you're working with your thoughts and your behaviors to create change. One leads to the other. Um, so some individuals believe that your feelings lead to your thoughts and then your behavior. Some people believe that your thoughts lead to your feelings and then your behaviors, but they're all linked in mm-hmm. some way. Um, so a lot of um, questions around, you know, what were you thinking at that time? How to stop those thoughts? Um, how quickly did the thought go to the behavior? And just kind of working with all of that mm-hmm. um, together. Um, so that's one kind of style. Another style, um, I use a lot of narrative, I think particularly because I work with minorities. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important for me that my clients can tell their story in their own words mm-hmm. and using their voice, not mm-hmm. the story that their mom said of them their entire lives and not what their teacher has said about them having ADHD and all this stuff, but just what is your experience in whatever vernacular you have and that's what we'll use in the room, um, unless you're cussing and fussing, then I gotta find my own language. <laughs> but um, I'll usually just kind of meet you wherever you are with your language, and then we're just, it's storytelling, um, which again, historically for minorities, um, is how we translate our lives. Um, mm-hmm. So that's always been really, really important to me. Um, it works really, really well um, with clients to empower themselves, um, because a lot of times we're not used to hearing our own voice. By the time we're six or seven years old, it's somebody else's voice in our head telling us to be a certain way. So. I've seen that when you can reconnect somebody to their voice, you have this whole other transformative um, process that happens in the room. Um, mm-hmm. And then that thing gets generalized, they take that outside, and that's how they then begin leading their relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a form of therapy that I usually use more um, in conjunction with CBT. Um, there's a very, very strict kind of behavior um, therapy where you're just focusing what somebody's doing. They don't care what happened in the past. Mm-hmm. We're not looking at anything from your like childhood. We're just looking at What's going on now? How to stop the behavior? So if you are pulling or picking or something like that, how do we just create behaviors where you stop doing that? Um, if you want to stop smoking or drinking, you might be looking at more just what do we do instead of this? And you can talk to somebody else about your family. But mm-hmm. we're just looking at um, how to create alternative behaviors. So um, depends on what you're looking for and who the provider is. Um, if I have somebody coming in looking for a very specific technique for trauma that I'm not trained in, um, it's also my ethical um, responsibility to say, I don't do this kind of work, Mm -hmm. so I need to provide a referral. Um, Unless I'm going to get supervision and kind of work on that with you, um, I've got to refer you out to somewhere else. And there's usually a provider somewhere um, who can do exactly what you might be needing. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes clients try to come in and say, this is what I need, which is fine. (laughs) Sometimes you don't know. She's going to let me do my job. But at the same time, there's, so I hear a lot of people come in and say, well, I was told I need CBT. And I'm like, what do you know of CBT? I have no clue. I was just told that that's what I need, and that's what I need you to do. And that's not CBT. I'm like, this is CBT. Um, so it's really just kind of balancing um, that out. And sometimes, again, CBT comes with a lot of handouts and um, just ways for you to kind of track and log your thoughts in a different way. So thank you for that. Because, yeah, I know, I think on Psychology Today, or just a lot of the sites that you can search um, any like mental health professionals um, in the mental health professionals bio mm-hmm. it'll just be a list of like the styles they do mm-hmm. and that can be just really confusing yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and essentially right. this is a longer different conversation but uh, given that managed care kind of insurance is managing a lot of what people can do mm-hmm. a lot of times they are also saying we are only going to pay for you to get CBT oh, uh, because wow. CBT is a um, it's a short term evidence based therapy so you can get eight sessions of CBT and that's all I'm going to pay for so people oh, are just like well I need somebody CBT to pay for this service um, so they begin, <laughs> yeah, they begin pulling strings and then after so it becomes a larger issue around that but I think that's also why CBT becomes a bigger mm-hmm. um, thing because medical providers and um, medical doctors go CBT six session stuff and I'm just well somebody has trauma we're not doing this in six sessions right. yeah. I'm good but I'm not that good <laughs> so um, so yeah so you just kind of work with that but again a lot of times the insurance companies are determining what you need when they don't even know you so yeah we're three of us are health policy majors so yeah we've now yeah, found something else to be upset about <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> insurance yeah. and the healthcare they're, bureaucracy they're so. it difficult yes yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so many yeah. barriers they've changed the game actually so yeah Yeah. not in a good way so (laughs) all right 
Yeah. Okay. So someone has identified they might have mm-hmm. some symptoms that might suggest they should seek out a mental health professional. They've done all their research and they found this great mental health. <laughs> they found you <laughs> to visit. Um, so they come into your office. Okay. What should they expect just during that first session or just mm-hmm. in general? Um, so after we have our 15-minute consultation and we kind of figure out scheduling with my assistant and all that kind of stuff, um, so typically an assessment, an intake appointment, um, will be anywhere from 60 minutes to two hours, depending on the provider. I know mm-hmm. a lot of psychiatrists have longer assessments because um, they're talking about medication and biological stuff. Um, so I usually have it, uh, do an assessment between 60 and 90 minutes just to kind of give me time to get um, a lot of information about you. So the main things I'm looking for is how you're functioning now, what's brought you in, mm-hmm. um, what you're looking for, what's been going on with you. Um, any recent history of any mental health concerns, if you have psych hospitalizations, depression, anything like that. Um, I'm also getting a sense of what's going on in your relationships, um, peer, romantic, family, coworkers, any of that stuff. How connected are you to people? Because um, that's a big part of your functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also getting a lot of family history. So mm-hmm. I ask you, tell me about your childhood. Describe it in one word, one thing I say. So you get really <laughs> creative ways in which people describe their childhood. Um, <laughs> I want to get a sense of what your relationships were like growing up. Did you have friends in school? Were you feeling any of these symptoms in school? Um, so I'm getting a, as, as full of a history as I can in 90 minutes. I'm getting all that information that I can um, because typically what's happened to you before is factoring into how you are mm-hmm. now. Um, and then usually at the end of the intake session, um, if there's time, I'll give you a little bit of feedback on what I've heard. Like, hey, so I've heard this. It sounds like this might be going on. Um, and given that, this is how I think we could work together. Um, so it's always a collaboration. Um, I never decide things for you. Um, and then usually I'll say, let's meet um, for three to four sessions in a row. And then let's reevaluate at the end of that if this still feels like a good fit. Um, I don't want you to feel stuck. Mm-hmm. I don't want to feel stuck. I give us some time. Um, and then usually after four, sometimes kind of five sessions, I'll kind of come back and say, okay, we've gotten into some stuff. I didn't kind of open. I didn't pop the top off everything. Um, but how is this feeling to kind of get to know me? How is this feeling to kind of do this work? Um, because it can be really draining for a lot of people, particularly if you haven't been in therapy before. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you're talking to a stranger about mm-hmm. your life. Um, yeah. So I'm very, very mindful um, of that and you being in this really, really vulnerable space. Um, and it takes practice to do therapy. It's not mm-hmm. just coming in and just saying whatever it is. Like, we can get into some stuff. So mm-hmm. I require you to work really hard mm-hmm. um, on yourself or at least for us to talk about where the barriers are. Um, and a lot of people aren't used to doing that kind of work. So um, I always kind of will we'll reevaluate, we'll collaborate. Sometimes I'm wrong. I'll be thinking something. They'll be like, nope way off and I'm like okay tell me where I need to be tell me where I need to go um, so it's always something where we're working um, together and typically no matter what's coming up there's some theme that's under there that no matter we're always getting to something around insecurity whatever kind of concern happened it's always kind of mm-hmm. going there even mm-hmm. if you tell me all these different stories um, mm-hmm. on the surface we can mm-hmm. usually get back to two or three major themes mm-hmm. um, in your life and that'll come up um, mm-hmm. so once I start noticing those themes I'll say you know it sounds like we talked about something related to this you know these last few weeks what do you mm-hmm. think that's about um, mm-hmm. excuse me and then we'll just go from there mm-hmm. um, so usually once clients get in the door and take that first really really big courageous step um, it's usually fine afterwards if it feels like a good fit um, but if it doesn't we can talk about that and then I can refer you to somebody else for whatever mm-hmm. reason and that's fine there's usually no hard feelings as long as you're getting services <laughs> that is fine by me yeah. is it normally hard for people to I guess like open up because I'm I know me personally I don't really like to talk about like feelings mm-hmm. and stuff I'm like oh <laughs> I ask you about feelings or tell me your thoughts yeah, yeah like, like oh. <laughs> I like talking in circles yeah. like you didn't answer my question yes. like, Yep, so I get circles, I get no eye contact, I get clients who sit like, they won't lay, they won't sit back in the couch, they got the jacket and the backpack on, so it depends. Um, so what I actually notice more with, um, with minorities is that they might be less comfortable um, in the mm-hmm. room, so I give them a little bit of time, and all of a sudden, you know, after a few weeks, you'll see, okay, well, they took their jacket off today. Okay, cool, we're getting somewhere. Um, some clients come in and they just, everything. Everything yeah. is out, tears, <laughs> feet up on the couch, like, <laughs> everything is happening. Um, so that would be me. It really, it really just depends. And, and once people get comfortable, they get really, exactly. <laughs> once they get comfortable, they get really, I'm just coming and just like, 
just lay like, oh, here's my pillow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it really just depends on kind of where that person is. Um, and even if I hear something in the intake, like say I hear like a really, really um, severe trauma history, I'm usually not going to go and like open that up immediately mm -hmm. you know, because you want to develop some level of um, safety. Mm -hmm. And I'll bring it up at some point or it'll come up at some point later. But I usually don't have an agenda that says, hey, I want to talk about this today, so we're going to go into it whether you're comfortable or mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. um, I'll go with whatever's going on that week for them, because things happen mm -hmm. during the week that might not have anything to do with what you came in here for, but this is now a general space for you to mm -hmm. kind of talk about whatever it is. Um, so I think that allows people to get more comfortable, because I'm not forcing you mm -hmm. to go in any direction, um, unless there are concerns about your safety or concerns about somebody else's safety. I'm starting top of the top of the session. Hey, where are we with that? Where, where are these thoughts? Are you having those thoughts now? Um, I'll incorporate risk assessments very regularly. Um, but if there's no need for a risk assessment, then we can kind of go whatever direction um, it takes us because I recognize that we tend to come back to the same theme, so we'll get there. And I'm not in this rush um, mm -hmm. for you. Sometimes they're in a rush because they're paying. I get it. It's your time. It's your money. So they'd be like, you got six sessions to work me out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will try. I will give you a frame of stuff, but I will also let you know six sessions is not enough. It happens a lot with my, my couples, actually, when they come in and say, listen, we got two months to figure this out or else I'm divorcing him or something like that. So I'm like, okay, let's let's gear up for it. Right. But um, two like, months is usually... No I fix my life. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So I will do my best, but usually, you know, six or seven sessions for a 10-year marriage is not enough. Um, so other people are more understanding of the therapeutic process, so they want more open-ended work, um, but it depends. Some people have a lot of shame, so they don't want to be seen kind of coming into the office, and so they're much more comfortable. They're much less comfortable coming in, so they might want video sessions, or they might want phone sessions. Um, so it depends. If we're working with social anxiety, I'm not going to let you stay on the phone doesn't help you <laughs> practice how to get you into my office um, so it just really depends on what their main concern is what direction mm -hmm. we'll go and it sounds like you and just other mental health professionals really try to make the client comfortable you mentioned playing lemonade um, are there any other things that you do or just like the physical environment um, like aromatherapy. Some I have candles. candles. My clients <laughs> love my candles. Um, uh, yeah, it's usually just kind of it's it's candles. I'll usually only um, if a client is is talking about music. Sometimes we'll pull up the song to listen to something in the lyrics that has really resonated with them mm -hmm. in some way. It's not usually music playing in the background, um, but. It just depends. I don't do more because um, there's also, for some clients, there could be a sensory overload. Mm -hmm. So I'm also very particular to that. I have clients who hate my candles and they're just like, you, did you see somebody earlier with your candle? I'm like, dang, yeah, I did. <laughs> so um, really just I got to kind of map out kind of who I'm seeing in a certain day um, based on kind of what their concerns are to just be to try to be as mindful of that as possible but um, other than that as long as there's a comfortable couch and I'm comfortable then that's typically what people need mm -hmm. um, all these the nicer fancier offices can look nice and be nice on TV but one they're expensive um, <laughs> and two having all that stuff um, in there um, can be distracting yeah, for some yeah, people. So if you that. really want it to be right. about the relationship, you want to kind of minimize mm -hmm. some of that stuff. Um, so yeah, my office is pretty um, pretty basic for the most part, but as long as it's comfortable, it's warm, it's inviting, mm -hmm. that's more of my concern. When people are in distress, a lot of times they don't care about what's going on, they just care about the fact that you are there right. and mm -hmm. you are here for me, so the room could look sometimes whatever way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if I had lunch or something like that, I would put a candle. <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah, that's the that's the most that I would do is usually um, a candle. Mm -hmm. a candle, candle. Okay. Do y'all have any other questions? Go ahead. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna ask. Um, do you have like any suggestions for like mental wellness type of activities that someone can do on their own, like mm. journaling mm -hmm. or just like yeah? What do you recommend? Journaling. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, um, and journaling is, is a great way, depending on, some people don't like journaling, so it doesn't work for some people, uh, but I'd always recommend some way to get thoughts out of your head. Um, so some people might like journaling, some people might just like logging stuff, just saying, this is the word, it's not any kind of coherent fashion. Um, I have clients who some are creative writers and they like music lyrics and stuff like that. So um, I'll have them uh, make songs or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I have other clients who I'd recommend kind of listening to music that kind of resonates mm -hmm. with them and that's another way to um, connect in some ways to self-soothe. 
Um, a lot of people, when they're upset, they listen to sad music. <laughs> don't do that. Don't listen to the sad music. But if you are going, like, don't listen to Adele. Don't do that. I don't like, <laughs> listen to, like, a little bit. Right? <laughs> and they write, have other songs that make you feel empowered. So we usually kind of work in ways um, like that. But um, for clients who don't kind of make it to the office who need other tips, we're really just looking at self-care, right? Doing those mm-hmm. things that keep you functioning on a basic level. So a lot of people, when they hear words like self-care, they think, spas and vacations mm-hmm. and all the really like luxury high order stuff and when I say self-care I mean have you done your laundry all right have you gone yes. grocery shopping mm-hmm. are you cooking and taking care of yourself um have you talked to whoever's in your support system um, lately that's what I mean by self-care I mean basic basic levels of mm-hmm. um functioning because we usually feel better when we know that those things are done right if yeah. you if my room is a mess or if my living room is a mess I feel more cluttered mm-hmm. in here, right? Mm-hmm. So when I'm talking to clients about self-care, <laughs> I'm like, are there clothes on your bed? I'm asking very, very specific questions about, oh, did you clear your counter off? Are there dishes in the sink? Um, because those are very concrete things that allow people to feel um, accomplished. I've done mm-hmm. this thing for myself. And it's very, like, it's time-sensitive or kind of time-limited. So we're looking at things like that. Um, depending on the client and kind of how high-functioning they are, um, I'm looking at basic hygiene. When's the last time you showered? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, are you brushing your teeth regularly? What's going on with your hair? Like, whatever it might be um, that, again, keeps them functioning at a base level. Mm-hmm. Are you doing those things, and are those things part of your routine? Because if any of those are off, all the other stuff is off. You can go on all the vacations you want, but <laughs> if your house is a mess, it's still going to be a mess mm-hmm. right there, right? So um, that's what I mean when I'm, when I'm talking about self-care. And those are things that tend to fall by the wayside first when we're in distress. We stop cleaning. We stop yep. taking care of ourselves. We stop talking to people. We're watching a lot of Netflix. <laughs> we're watching, I got Fire Stick. We're watching all the things on Fire Stick. Um, so when you recognize that you're doing that but other things aren't happening, um, you're avoiding something at some point. So um, I'm looking at you being able to kind of uh, maintain those routines. And then on top of that, you can do the other stuff. It's great to get your nails done or do whatever it is. Go to the gym. Those things are, are um, great and important. But <clears throat> those basic points of... Um, Functioning have to be happening in order for mm-hmm. those other things uh, to happen at least the way that you want them mm-hmm. to happen. Yeah. That was, that was helpful, insightful. That really was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This whole conversation like, has been very insightful. Yeah, that's great. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm noticing now, I'm like, my room has been mm-hmm. junky and I just feel a mess. Like, I just feel like yeah. I'm in mm-hmm. room right now. <laughs> and usually, a lot of times you can use those things as cues, right? So, a lot mm-hmm. of my clients. Um, once they notice that their bedroom is a mess, then they'll be like, oh, I've been really scattered this mm-hmm. week. Right? So it's like, oh, so you can, you can begin to kind of use that as a tool mm-hmm. for yourself versus mm-hmm. a way to judge yourself. Oh, my gosh, this is so blank. But like, nope, something's not happening because my room is a mess, right? Yeah. Something's not happening because there's dishes in the sink, right? So mm-hmm. we can use these different things in our environment or kind of ways that we tend to live uh, to tell us about ourselves because we might miss a lot of things physically, mm-hmm. but our environment will tell us what space we're in a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Right. Listen to your your family or friends if they tell you you're irritable. You might be irritable. <laughs> Listen to them. Usually people aren't just saying that to say it. So if you hear it from a number of different people, you might want to do a check in with yourself, right? Because you're getting some feedback. Hi. This is great. This is good. Like I said, I can talk forever. So yeah, <laughs> y'all reined me in. I think this will be like great for our, our listeners. But I think for yeah. us, right? I, I like definitely got today. learned a lot. Good. So hopefully the listeners learned a lot as well. I was over here taking notes. Good. <laughs> Um, do you have a website or any social mm. media pages you want to plug for our listeners? I do. Um, so my website is, um, you can find it in two ways. It's www.ascensionbehavioralhealth.com or um, the shorter version um, is www.drabramsabh.com. So dr. A-B-R-A-M-S-A-B-H.com um, is the shorter way. Um, also, can you spell like Ascension? Oh, for yes. A-S-C-E-N-S-I-O-N-B-E-H-A-V-I-O-R-A-L H-E-A-L-T-H dot com. Ascension Behavioral <laughs> Health. Um, yeah, it's going to be like Incension, Ascension, no, Ascension. Um, the Facebook page at the same name, Ascension Behavioral Health. Um, I think it's actually Ascension Behavioral Health LLC, probably. Um, and on Instagram, which is a mix of my personal life and kind of meeting personal goals, as well as um, mental health information and different events and things that I might be doing um, at dr underscore ayana a-y-a-n-n-a underscore a on instagram (laughs) um 
So those are all ways in which you can find information and kind of look at my website. Um, I also started a um, blog when I was on medical leave a few months ago. Um, so that's where it's going to have mental health information, different kind of upcoming events, uh, mental health uh, related events. Um, Movie reviews, book reviews. I got a 13 Reasons Why. Oh, wow. <laughs> coming up. 13 Reasons Why and or Why Not. Um, <laughs> I like so, that. Right. <laughs> um, information like that um, that can be really helpful. Like, they, like I think books, links, articles um, on mental health and just different ways to take care of yourself. So that's, is, that's on my website. If you go to the website, there's a blog link. Um, there's some posts there. Hey, thanks for listening to the Black Health Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and tell your friends about us. If you want to keep up with all the work that we're doing, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Black Health. That's B-L-K-H-L-T-H. And check out our website, blackhealth.com, where you can read our blog, find out about our upcoming events, and shop for Black Health merch like our Black Health Matters tees. So yeah, thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next time. No more.